Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, April 20th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us, excuse me, you can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Um, a lot of great listening over there. There's near 60 podcasts over there, very carefully curated, a broad spectrum of topics, so definitely worth your while. Um, I would continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. Uh, the, we That is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can then um, commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative in our community. So go ahead and click on the link. It'll give you a much more thorough description. Mm, excuse me, than I just did. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask for you to pray for us. We'd ask for you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can't, others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to be doing our Bible study. There are our Bible reading this morning. And then in the evening segment, we'll be continuing on in our Bible study of John chapter seven. So Let's go ahead and open up like we usually do on Thursdays with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege... <sighs> Sorry, it's late at night. I'm a little tired. <laughs> Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy, in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest. Not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. And now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is from Hebrews 2.14. That, that, though, I'm sorry, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. O child of God, death hath lost its sting, because the devil's power over it is destroyed. Then cease to fear dying. Ask grace from God the Holy Ghost, that by an intimate knowledge and a firm belief of thy Redeemer's death, thou mayest be strengthened for that dread hour. Living near the cross of Calvary, thou mayest think of death with pleasure and welcome it when it comes with intense delight. It is sweet to die in the Lord. It is a covenant blessing to sleep in Jesus. Death is no longer banishment. It is a return from exile, a going home. Sorry, a going home to the many mansions where the loved ones already dwell. The distance between glorified spirits in heaven and militant saints on earth seems great, but it is not so. We are not far from home. A moment will bring us there. The sail is spread. The soul is launched upon the deep. How long will be its voyage? How many wearying winds must beat upon the sail ere it shall be reefed in the port of peace? 
How long shall that soul be tossed upon the waves before it comes to that sea which knows no storm? Listen to the answer. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Yon ship has just departed. Has just departed. But it is already at its haven. It did but spread its sail, and it was there. Like that ship of old upon the lake of Galilee. A storm had tossed it, but Jesus said, Peace be still, and immediately it came to land. Think not that a long period intervenes between the instant of death and the eternity of glory. When the eyes close on earth, they open in heaven. The horses of fire are not an instant on the road. Then, O child of God, what is there for thee to fear in death, seeing that through the death of thy Lord its curse and sting are destroyed? And now it is but a but a Jacob's ladder whose foot is in the dark grave, but its top reaches to glory everlasting. All right. And now our reading, we're going to be reading Joshua 21 and 22, the first 20 verses. We're going to read Luke 20, the first 26 verses, Luke 89, the first 13 verses, and Proverbs 13, 15, and 16. So Joshua 21. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. Then the heads of households of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh, in the, in the land of Canaan, saying, Yahweh commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to live in, with their pasture lands for our cattle. So the sons of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance these cities with their pasture lands, according to the command of Yahweh. Then the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the sons of Aaron the priest, who were of the Levites, received thirteen cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, and from the tribe of the Simeonites, and from the tribe of Benjamin. Now the rest of the sons of Kohath received ten cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, and from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the sons of Gershon received thirteen cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, and from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. The sons of Merari, according to their families, received twelve cities from the tribe of Reuben, and from, sorry, and from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. So the sons of Israel gave by lot to the Levites these cities with their pasture lands as Yahweh had commanded by the hand of Moses. They also gave from the tribe of the sons of Judah and from the tribe of the sons of Simeon these cities which are here mentioned by name. And they were for the sons of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites of the sons of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. So they gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, with its pasture lands all around it. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb the son of Jephunneh as his possession. Thus to the sons of Aaron, the priest, they gave Hebron the, the city of refuge for the manslayer with its pasture lands, Libna also with its pasture lands. Jatir with its pasture lands, Eshtemoa with its pasture lands, Hulan with its pasture lands, and Debir with its pasture lands, and Ain with its pasture lands, and Juta with its pasture lands, and Beth Shemesh with its pasture lands, nine cities from these two tribes. From the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasture lands, Jeba, Geba with its pasture lands, Anathoth with its pasture lands, and Almon with its pasture lands, four cities. All the cities of the sons of Aaron, the priests, were thirteen cities and their pasture lands. Then the cities from the tribe of Ephraim were allotted to the families of the sons of Kohath, the Levites, even to the rest of the sons of Kohath. And they gave them Shishem, the city of refuge, for the manslayer with its pasture lands, in the hill country of Ephraim, and Gezer with its pasture lands, and Kibzaim with its pasture lands, and Beth Horon with its pasture lands, four cities, from the tribe of Dan, Eltekeh with its pasture lands, Gibbethon with its pasture lands, Aijalon with its pasture lands, and Gathrimon with its pasture lands, four cities. From the half tribe of Manasseh, they gave Tanakh with its pasture lands, and Gathrimon with its pasture lands, two cities. All the cities with their pasture lands for the families of the rest of the sons of Kohath were ten. Now to the sons of Gershon, one of the families of the Levites from the half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan in Bashan, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, and, and Baish Terah with its pasture lands, two cities. From the tribe of Issachar they gave Kishion with its pasture lands, Deborath with its pasture lands, Jarmuth with its pasture lands, 
in Ganim with its pasture lands, four cities. From the tribe of Asher they gave Mishal with its pasture lands, Abdon with its pasture lands, Helkath with its pasture lands, and Rehob with its pasture lands, four cities. From the tribe of Naphtali they gave Kadesh and Galilee, the city of refuge for the manslayer with its pasture lands, and Hamoth Dor with its pasture lands, and Kartan with its pasture lands, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were thirteen cities with their pasture lands. Now to the families of the sons of Merari, the rest of the Levites, they gave from the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam with its pasture lands, and Karta with its pasture lands, Dimna with its pasture lands, Nahalal with its pasture lands, four cities. From the tribe of Reuben they gave Bezer with its pasture lands, and Jahaz with its pasture lands, Kedemoth with its pasture lands, and Mephath with its pasture lands, four cities. From the tribe of Gad they gave Ramoth and Gilead, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, and Mahanaim with its pasture lands, Heshbon with its pasture lands, Jazer with its pasture lands, four cities in all. All these were the cities of the sons of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites, and their lot was twelve cities. All the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the sons of Israel were forty-eight cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its surrounding pasture lands, thus it was with all these cities. So Yahweh gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And Yahweh gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and no one of all their enemies stood before them. Yahweh gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one promise of the good promises which Yahweh had promised to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Joshua 22 verses 1 through 20. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses the servant of Yahweh commanded you, and have listened to my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but have kept the responsibility of the commandment of Yahweh your God. And now Yahweh your God has given rest to your brothers, as he spoke to them. So now turn and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of Yahweh gave you beyond the Jordan. Only keep yourselves very carefully to do the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of Yahweh commanded you to love Yahweh your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and cling to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Now to the one half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half Joshua gave a possession among their brothers westward beyond the Jordan. So when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return to your tents with great riches, and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with very many clothes. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers." Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home and departed from the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had possessed, according to the command of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. And they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard it said, Behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the entrance of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. Then the sons of Israel heard of it, and the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. Then the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben, and to the sons of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten, ten leaders, one leader for each father's household from each of the tribes of Israel, and each one of them was the head of his father's household among the thousands of Israel. So they came to the sons of Reuben, and to the sons of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of Yahweh, What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following Yahweh this day, by building yourself an altar to rebel against Yahweh this day? Is the iniquity of Peor too small a thing for us, from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although there was a plague on the congregation of Yahweh? Yet you are turning away this day from following Yahweh. 
Now it will be that if you rebel against Yahweh today, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of Yahweh, where the tabernacle of Yahweh dwells, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against Yahweh, nor rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of Yahweh your God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah act unfaithfully in the things devoted to destruction and indignation fall on all the congregation of Israel? But he was not the only man to breathe his last in his iniquity. All right. And Luke 20 verses 1 through 26. And it happened that on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up to him, and they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why do you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people the, this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And at the harvest time he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine growers sent him away empty-handed, having beaten him. And he proceeded to send another slave, and when they beat him also and treated him shamefully, they sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. Now the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they were reasoning with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw them out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyards do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyards to others. When they heard this, they say, May it never be. But when Jesus looked at them, he said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, but they feared the people, for they understand that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, so that they might catch him in some statement in order to deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a word in the presence of the people, and marveling at his answer, they became silent. All right. Psalm 89, verses 1 through 13. Amaskal of Ethan, the Ezraite. I will sing of the loving kindness of Yahweh forever. From generation to generation, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. I have cut a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne from generation to generation. Selah. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Yahweh, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the sky is com comparable to Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty is like Yahweh? A God greatly dreaded in the council of the holy ones. Sorry, of the holy ones, and fearsome above all those who are around him. O Yahweh, God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Yah, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your strong arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world in its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon sing with joy at your name. You have a mighty arm. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is exalted. All right. 
Proverbs 13, verses 15 and 16. Good insight gives grace, but the way of the treacherous is unrelenting. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool spreads out folly. All right, well, that is our reading for Thursday, April 20th. Um, thank you for spending this time with me. I appreciate it that you took the time to be with me this morning. Um, I hope this continual Bible reading um, is beneficial to you, that it is edifying. Um, I hope that it helps you to stay biblically saturated um, so that you can be more and more biblically literate, so that your discernment is better and you're able to keep yourself away from the false teachers, from from the uh, blasphemers that are out there. Um, and we're going to talk about some of those today, um, in, in our, in our Bible study. But, um, again, I thank you for being with us. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, and I hope you're back with us for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. And interestingly enough, this one from Valley Vision is called after prayer. Let's pray. O God of grace, I bewail my cold, listless, heartless prayers. Their poverty adds sin to sin. If my hope were in them, I should be undone. But the worth of Jesus perfumes my feeble breathings and wins their acceptance. Deepen my contrition of heart. Confirm my faith in the blood that washes from all sin. May I walk lovingly with my great Redeemer. Flood my soul with true repentance, that my heart may be broken for sin and unto sin. Let me be as slow to forgive me, forgive your myself as thou art ready to forgive me. Gazing on the glories of thy grace, may I be cast into the lower depths of shame and walk with downcast head. Now thou art pacified towards me. O my great high priest, pour down upon me streams of needful grace. Bless me in all my undertakings and every thought of my mind, every word of my lips, every step of my feet, every deed of my hands. Thou didst live to bless, die to bless, rise to bless, ascend to bless, take thy throne to bless, to bless, and now thou dost reign to bless. O give sincerity to my desires, earnestness to my supplications, fervor to my love. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a great day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, April 20th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Again, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. All right, well, we want to get on into our Bible study, so let's go ahead and open up with prayer. Uh, the prayer we're going to open up with is called A Neophyte's Devotion from Valley of Vision. So let's pray. Glorious and holy God, provoca provocation against thy divine majesty have filled my whole life. My offenses have been countless and aggravated. Conscience has rebuked me. Friends have admonished me. The example of others have reproached me. Thy rod has chastised me. Thy kindness allured me. Thou hast seen and abhorred all my sins, and couldst easily and justly have punished me. Yet thou hast spared me, been gracious unto me, given me thy help, invited me to thy table. Lord, I thankfully obey thy call, accept of thy goodness, acquiesce in thy gospel appointments. I believe that Jesus thy Son has plenteous redemption. I apply to him for his benefits, give up my mind implicitly to his instructions, trust in glory in his sacrifice, revere in love his authority, pray that his grace may reign in my life. I will not love a world that crucified him, neither cherish nor endure the sin that put him to grief, nor suffer him to be wounded by others. At the cross that that relieves my conscience. Let me learn lessons of self-denial, forgiveness, and submission. Feel motives to obedience. Find resources for all needs of the divine life. Then let me be that I what I profess. Do as well as teach. Live as well as hear religion. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion for April 20th uh, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is from 1 Samuel 18, 17. Fight the Lord's Battles. The sacramental host of God's elect is warring still on earth. 
Jesus Christ being the captain of their salvation, he has said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hark to the shouts of war. Now let the people of God stand fast in their ranks, and let no man's heart fail him. It is true that just now in England the battle is turned against us, and unless the Lord Jesus shall lift his sword, we know not what may become of the church of God in this land. But let us be of good courage, and play the man. There never was a day when Protestantism seemed to tremble more in the scales than now, that a fierce effort is making is making to restore the Romish Antichrist to his ancient seat. We greatly want a bold voice and a strong hand to preach and publish the old gospel for which martyrs bled and confessors died. The Savior is, by his Spirit, still on earth. Let this cheer us. He is ever in the midst of the fight, and therefore the battle is not doubtful. And as the conflict rages, what a sweet satisfaction it is to know that the Lord Jesus, in his office as our great intercessor, is prevalently pleading for his people. O anxious gazer, look not so much at the battle below, for there thou shalt be enshrouded in smoke, and amazed with garments, rolled in blood. But lift thine eyes, yonder where the Savior lives, and pleads for a while he intercedes. The cause of God is safe. Let us fight as if it if it all depended upon us, but let us look up and know that all depends upon him. Now by the lilies of Christian purity, and by the roses of the Savior's atonement, by the roses, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, we charge you who are lovers of Jesus to do valiantly in the holy war, for truth and righteousness, for the kingdom and crown jewels of your master, onward, for the battle is not yours, but God's. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on, on in our Bible study, and I'm sorry, I'm shifting my mic around a little bit. Um, so we're continuing on in our study of uh, the Gospel of John, um, and we've entered this last section. So, so you know, we, we've gone through the beginning of chapter 7, uh, which, which has to deal with Jesus going to the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So he's gone, he's taught. Um, he's proclaimed, he's made claims. Um, he's had, we've, we've seen the responses to his, his claims, the dense confusion, um, the divided conviction and the derisive contempt. And then we came into this section, um, the other evening about answering life's ultimate questions. And we're, we're looking at the section about the responses. We first saw the invitation by Jesus, the invitation where he proclaimed the gospel and then we've seen the responses. And last evening, we saw the convinced and the contrary. We saw that contrast between some of those who believed he was the prophet, probably the prophet that Moses proclaimed, who was the Christ, or the Christ himself, one way or another. They And when they say the prophet, maybe they were just referring to a prophet in general. That's possible. But either way, they see, the, see him as a man of God. Whereas others want to go ahead and seize him. They're, they're tired of him running around because the Pharisees have been talking about wanting to take him into custody. So, you know, people, other people are wanting to seize him and they're like, yeah, who is this guy? And no, he doesn't come from the right place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we've, we've seen all of that. So what we're seeing today, what we're seeing in our Bible study today is the, and the responses is the confused. And so let me, let me clarify again, answering life's ultimate question is how are we going to handle Jesus Christ? That that's what we have to answer. And that's what these people are answering. And like I said, you know, last evening we saw the convinced and the contrary and in our world, there are the convinced and the contrary. Um, and so we're going to see the confused today. And again, in our world, there's the confused and God willing tomorrow evening, we'll see the last of the responses. But so let's go ahead and read our text. This is going to be John chapter seven and it's verses 45 through 49. The, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, never has a man spoken like this. The Pharisees then answered them, have you also been led astray? Have any of the rulers of Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. So, so let's just start in verse 45. So who were these officers? And I think I've brought it up roughly, um, but who were these officers? These officers were Levites 
who had who had been set apart and who acted as temple ground police within the temple grounds for the religious leadership and in some cases where where a situation didn't necessarily involve the roman authorities or the things that they took charge over these these officers would act outside of the temple grounds as the the religious leadership's enforcement arm basically so um but what we do need to know about them as well is that they were provided they're levites they were provided with a thorough religious education they were educated um in enforcement in in being police and you know and being officers but they were also educated theologically so the, these are not ignorant men not in any way shape or form but so there in verse 44 or 4 45 sorry we see the officers return and after they were sent out back in verse 32 to seize jesus so they return but obviously they return without this man and think about that you come walking back in and you don't have the man you were sent out to to get and and if we understand the chronology right they were sent out a couple of days ago so yeah it's a big festival there's a lot of people but they had to know where he where he was. I mean, and obviously they did, if they heard enough to to you know indicate. Never has a man spoken like this, which we'll get to in, from verse forty six. But of course, the religious leadership, the chief priests and the Pharisees, the officers' superiors, ask why Jesus is not with them. Well, of course they did. Why did you not bring him? Needless to say, they're a little confused. These guys have had 48 hours. Jerusalem is just not that big. And they would they should have known where he would be. And they did. I mean, it's not like it's not like the uh, the Jewish leadership didn't think these guys knew where he was. They, but of course they were asking, why did you not bring him? So then in verse 46, we see the officers answer. And and uh, let's see, the officers answered, Never has a man spoken like this. These officers are astounded with the teaching of Jesus. And these are men who have religious training. And they so they know the scriptures. But they are so caught by the teaching of Jesus that they don't seize him. Now, uh, some people have put forward, you know, maybe they didn't seize him because they were afraid of how the people would react. Or maybe it was just too packed in and crowded so they couldn't really get to him or something like that. And, and I'm sure all that's possible because it never really tells us anything other than than this response. But again, I have to think at the same time that something about what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it makes them step back, even in light of the authority of the religious leadership and their orders. They've been ordered to go take this in, and we, we've got to understand. So in our in your in, in, in our world, other than some of us who are saved and, and are obedient to our pastor. A, a, a pastor, a religious guy comes out to somebody on the street and tells them to go do, they're going to be like, yeah, right. If they don't shoot them. I mean, the, the way things are going, I mean, people are having trouble on the roads and they want to start shooting each other and all that. But again, you know, it's just not the authority, but back in first century uh, Palestine, the Jewish leadership were, were, were the top of the heap. They had authority over everybody else, and these officers were between them and the people, and these officers served under their authority. These officers, I mean, because this was, being an officer here was a step above the average everyday person, and we're going to see what these Pharisees and and, uh, chief priests think about the average everyday person. So these officers are at least a step up out of that and get properly compensated. So, you know, you'd think they'd be obedient. You'd think they'd be, you know, um, hang on to it. Um, and and let's be absolutely clear, and I'm going to bring this up again, that the religious system in first century Palestine was apostate. It was blasphemous. So it's a false religion to begin with. But again, these Pharisees and, and chief priests assert a great deal of authority over these officers, and these officers then assert a great deal of authority over the people. So I really have to believe that if they could physically take him, if, if if they could physically take him, they would have, barring what we seem to see. Like I said, something about what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it 
makes them step back, even in light of that authority, it triggers something. Uh, and, and in all probability, this is just my opinion here. Okay. But, but I say this and the commentaries I looked at tended to think the same way. Okay. That there was something in what he was saying and how he was saying it compared to the ugliness and hatred and everything else coming from the religious leadership that caught at these men and made them take a step back and go, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Maybe where we're headed is not where we ought to be headed here. Maybe something, and we don't really know that. We don't see them say anything else other than never has a man spoken like this. But they say that so floored by the authority he shows and the way he speaks and the way his speaking and his teaching adheres to scripture that they're taken aback and they don't bring him in. They don't seize him. So verse 47, we see the Pharisees and they've got to disparage. Um, They tend to do that a good bit. Verse 47, the Pharisees then answered them, have you also been led astray? They are asking if these officers, these fully trained, religiously trained men have been hornswoggled by this hick from Galilee. That that's, that's the mood. That's, that's the, the approach these Pharisees have. That's how you've got to read that question that seriously with all your training and everything else, you're letting this boob from, from up North lead you away from what we've been telling you and teaching you. Well, again, that's got to tell you that that has to reference back to how these officers responded, you know, saying never has a man spoken like this. They are, again, they are so floored by it that these Pharisees, these chief priests that, that, that lorded over them aren't having the impact. So of course they disparage him, them, but they're, again, they're questioning their training. They're questioning their ability to retain material. They're questioning their pro- professional capability as religious persons. Again, these are Levites. These are Levites. And part of their job is being religiously trained knowing their scriptures, knowing the Old Testament, and knowing it better than most, okay? So then verse 48, this is the Pharisees still. Have any of the rulers of, or Pharisees re- believed in him? Talking believed in Jesus. So they go on to ask if any of the Pharisees have voiced any opinion of belief in this Jesus character. And again, this is another one of those questions that the way the question is phrased and the terminology of it is that this question is meant to expect a no answer, to engender a no answer, basically saying, so so if you turn it into a statement, basically it's none of the rulers or Pharisees have believed in him. So they're using that authority that their authority that, hey, we've shown we don't believe in him, so you should not be led astray by this man, nor should you be reacting this way, and you should have brought him to us. You know, they they this tacitly indicates that the Pharisees do not believe in this Jesus person, so that the, the Schult officers should not either, that there's no excuse for these officers to be behaving this way, that they should not believe in this guy either. This is not a guy to believe in. And again, Jesus has been, Jesus, as he's been teaching, we've got to remember this. He's been teaching straight out of the scriptures. What he is stating directly jives with the, what the scripture says. What the Pharisees and the chief priests do, and usually the chief priests, so the reason I don't see Sadducees is they don't mention it here, but the fact is the chief priests came from the Sadducees, okay? Not from the Pharisees. Because um, the Sadducees tended to be the chief priests, like I said, the Pharisees tended to be lay religious leaders. So, but highly learned, okay? But again, they're like, hey, none of us have believed in this guy. You shouldn't either. And especially with your training, why are you not following us? Well, again, you've got, you have to understand that that they're not just referring to scripture here. Again, as I've talked before, the Pharisees and the and the chief priests, the Sadducees, um, had built up this huge, huge library of man-made laws that supposedly, um, and in a lot of cases, took precedence over biblical law, over God's law, over the Mosaic law. Um, and so they're basically saying, 
you know, what we believe in all of these man-made things is more than what this man is proclaiming out of the Bible. Um, so say, making clear to these, these rule, these officers, you've got no excuse. You should not be following after this. But then we really see the crux of the matter in verse 49. This is the Pharisees continuing to speak. But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. So they're speaking of the crowd. So they commence the disparagement of the people. So let me tell you a few things. The Greek here for person is oshlos. It has a negative connotation and it basically means this ignorant multitude, these stupid cattle, these these stupid subhumans. That's basically what they're saying. These stupid subhumans um, doesn't even know the law, thus they're accursed. Now, these people that they're talking of, these are the chosen of God. These are Israelites. These are fellow Israelites, those that should be being shepherded by the Pharisees and the chief priests. So if they're ignorant, then the onus is on the Pharisees and the chief priests to have dealt with that ignorancy. And if they're ignorant, that means the Pharisees and the chief priests are at fault. Therefore, they're being disobedient to God. Therefore, they're full of sin, but they don't see it that way. They put it on the, they put it on the people themselves. Well, you don't know you're ignorant. But on top of that, they go on to pronounce a curse on the people. They pronounce a curse on it. Now, you got to think about it. Think through the Old Testament. God is the only one who cursed anybody in the Old Testament. He did not give out that power. Now, I know Paul in one of his epistles, well, in, in Galatians, you know, if anyone brings you a gospel other than the one I've brought you, be there an, the, an angel or myself then let that person be accursed. Okay, so yes, he does. That's in the New Testament. That's after this Mosaic Covenant has been satisfied. But case is, at this time, where Jesus is, is where these Pharisees and Sadducees are speaking, nobody but God curses. Yet these Pharisees and these chief priests have taken up, basically they've put themselves in the place of God. This was an authority that only God had and that he did not hand out to anyone within the Old Testament. But they cursed them. So needless to say, the confused, so like we were talking about, this is the confused of how people address the Christ. The confused here are the officers. They are so confused because they've heard this man preach. They've been sent out but they've heard this man preach and teach and he's teaching the scriptures. He's teaching the old Testament to these people. He's speaking straight out of scripture. So what is he doing wrong that he should be seized? But on top of that, how amazing he's teaching in such a way that he makes the Pharisees and the chief chief priests look like pikers. They look like chumps. So, these officers are confused, but of course they come back confused. And instead of help, instead of straightening them out, if they're, you know, and of course they're not going to be by those that promote a false religion, but the Pharisees and the chief priests attack them. Have you been led astray? Have any of us believed in him? But this crowd, these, these, these ridiculously stupid subhumans that don't even know the law, are accursed. So, you know, they've got to be confused because here is this loving, um, loving, warm man teaching and elevating and equipping and edifying these people. And instead of, instead of being out there teaching like they should have been, the Pharisees and the chief priests are sitting in the council chamber waiting for them to bring somebody in for them to castigate and, and persecute. They're not out there celebrating. They're not out there doing what the feast calls for. Oh, no, it's more important for them to handle um, church administrative matters, as one commentator spoke of. Well, maybe they should have been out there helping to show the people how to sell, how they're supposed to celebrate the, the Feast of Booths. Though, honestly, as twisted as they were about their own faith, 
I don't know that they could have done it correctly. So again, make no mistake, as I said before, first century Judaism was a false religion. It had been made that way by the chief priests and the Pharisees over hundreds of years. They had turned it so far away from what God had intended that it was ridiculous. But they wanted to hold these officers to this false religion, as well as the people, this ignorant multitude, these people of the land, that's how they referred to them, um, as the Jewish leadership called them. And again, believe me, this Jewish leadership, I mean, this terminology they use, like I told you about the Greek for person there and, and what, it, what its real connotation is, that's how they thought of everybody other than themselves. They saw of everybody as less than them. They saw them as ignorant. And in a lot of cases, they truly believed that because these people were so ignorant and whatever, that only they, the Pharisees and the chief priests, were the only ones who were actually going to be saved and go to heaven. They actually believed that. So they're not doing any of the work that God's put them there to do. They are the false shepherds that, that are spoken of. And I, I, I think it's Jeremiah. I could be wrong. But, but, but again, the warning towards those shepherds who are not feeding the sheep, who are not properly caring for the sheep. These are the sheep and these chief Pharisees and Sadducees, the Pharisees and the chief priests should have been taking care of them and they're not. So no wonder these officers are confused when they've got the scripture telling them one thing and these these Pharisees and chief priests telling them something totally different. And they want to curse them if they wouldn't hold to this blasphemous mess that they had created. So like I said, at least the officers confused. Their response to Jesus being confused, the way they're dealing with it is they're confused. They, they don't know what to say to this invitation Jesus has sent out. Um, so we see that there and it's really easy to go, okay, so what does that have to do with me? Well, the fact is you and I are in a world. Wow, I'm having trouble talking. Sorry. You and I are in a world that is full of false religion. And I'm talking even in the Christian church, even in the Christian church, even among the Baptist church, which I'm, I'm, I am Baptistic, um, even among the major denominations, you still see false religion out there. And even especially, I should say, within the Christian church. And you've got these people out there pushing that false religion. And if you... In, in your reading and study of the scripture, you see where what they're saying is wrong and you're, you're reading the word of God. Therefore, Jesus is speaking to you. And I'm not being weird, like speaking in your head, but th this is the word of God and Jesus is God incarnate. So I'm reading the word of God as they were being preached to there in the temple grounds when he offered the invitation that we dealt with a couple of nights ago. So we're reading that and that speaks to us so clearly. Yet we've got this false garbage being pushed from our pulpits. And I'm not claiming my church's pulpit, but from pulpits and from leadership and from false teachers, um, female and male teachers out there that, that are well known. And when you when you want to when you stop and take a step back and go whoa wait a minute you know never has a man spoken like this we have that kind of reaction they're going to attack they're going to attack they go on the attack so you and i so that we don't end up being confused like these officers we have to be saturated in the scripture. And that's, I, I know this was talking about the confused and everything, but what I kind of got out of it is part of the reason these guys were confused is because they had been, they, they weren't as solid as they needed to be, at least in my opinion, in the scriptures. And so they were allowed to be led around. Now, some of it was societal, you know, they didn't want to lose they, their favored place, but they weren't solid enough in the Old Testament to resist the Pharisees and the chief priests. They weren't. And we see it across the board down there. What was it? The parents of the, the blind man that was healed. And they're like, well, I, I, we don't know what happened. They, they didn't want to have none do that because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. Well, if they truly knew their scriptures, they would knew hold, know holding to the scripture was more important than getting caught up with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the same is true today. 
you and I have got to be saturated with the word of God, with the scriptures, and we must be exhaustive in our prayer life. That's what gives us the strength. I mean, that's that's what makes it puts us at a point where the Holy Spirit strengthens us so that we can stand strong in the face of these kinds of attacks. And believe me, they're coming more and more, and it's only going to get worse in the world going ahead. But in our weakness, God is strong and he can bring us through this. But we have to we have to do our part. I'm not saying we help God, but we are called to be in scripture. We are called to be in prayer. And so we must do so. So we don't be uh, end up being the confused being confused in our response to Christ. We've got to be saturated in the word and and thorough in our prayers so that we are not confused in how we respond to Christ. All right, let's go ahead and close out for the evening. We're going to go ahead and end with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quiet in our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state in w- which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.